Is that better? Yes? Yes. You think after this time we'd get this right, huh? But it's always a game. Well, good morning and good to see you here on this really beautiful day, uh, this beautiful weather we're having, uh, this glorious time of creation uh, just showing us God's magnificent work and the many palettes of colors that he has for us to rejoice in. Um, as uh, we look at this uh, book of Romans and we bring all of our our thoughts back to this book for this week and next week. We're looking at the best chapter in this book, and even though chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8 are magnificent, uh, this is, as we've heard many times from no matter when you hear someone, that this is the, the greatest chapter in the Bible uh, because of of the hope that it gives us the reality of who we are, the blessings that God has bestowed upon us uh, after learning everything we read from the beginning of the book of Romans and realizing that, that Paul level sets us all and realizes how evil our hearts are and how evil and how bad we really are and we still come to grips with we're much worse than who we are. And... Uh, so as we have that thought going through our minds as we're reading these chapters, this chapter is uh, so good and so uh, appealing to us, and we even haven't got to the part yet that we all know, Romans 8, 28. Uh, that part is uh, next, the next series that I'll be doing, and that we know and that we run back to many, many times, and in fact is the is the very core of what we hold on to when we find ourselves living life day by day. Uh, the book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, says, and this, this I remember. And uh, these are the things that we remember now on the other side of the cross, not to forget what God has revealed himself to us in the Old Testament, but here in the New Testament he provides us with this glorious picture of who he is and what he thinks of us, both in the way that is real, that the sinners that we are and what we deserve, but yet on the other side of that, what he has provided for us and now what we have to live for and what we have to look forward to is something I hope is uh, appealing to you. I hope ministers to your heart. Um, hope and pray that this is, uh, again, a walk in, in the word of God that uh, I find this time again, I've preached through this book once before many, many years ago, and it's just so refreshing and so new, and it's, it's like I haven't read any of these things before. Uh, it is that, it's that encouraging, and I pray that the Lord, the Spirit of God, fills you with the same kind of desire. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing upon us as we gather here today, thanking you for this time and space that you've given to us here at this place in Boston Spa, this building on a hill. Lord, we thank you that you have called all of us here today. And pray, Lord, that for those of us who love you, this would be a time of refreshment, a time of, of encouragement, a time of hope, a time of realism, 
of, of, of uh, your describing to us the world that we live in and the lives that we live every day, the struggles that we have. And then, Lord, we realize that you are the remedy of our life. You are the one who brings purpose to us. You are the one who opens our eyes and changes our heart. And even while that happens, Lord, as we'll read today, we realize that we, we need your grace. We need your spirit as this chapter is just oozes of. So, Lord, as we read and as we hear, Lord, we pray that your spirit will that he will have his way with us and fill our hearts and take up so much space in this sanctuary, Lord, that we will feel his presence. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be looking at chapter 8, verses 18 through 25 today, but I'm going to read through 27. So hear the word of the Lord. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For, this, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only create the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep, for words. And he who searches hearts knows that what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me take you back to chapter 5, and I'll do this regularly because this is where it begins with us. This is where this whole chapter, this whole segment, this major, major uh, banquet that the Lord has given us through chapter 5 and through chapter 8. With all the preparation work of chapters 1, 2, and 3, and 4, of course, but listen to that verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is where we are right now in chapter 8. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because 
God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. These are the people that Paul is speaking to. Paul is talking to the saints of Rome, both Jews and Gentiles. He brought them to uh, the same place, started them all to same uh, introductory statements, brought them to the place of this is who you are in the eyes of God, this is what you deserve. You deserve wrath because we're all sinners from top to bottom, from east to west, north and south. You can't deny that this is who we are. And what we deserve from God is not his love, but his wrath. And yet, chapter 3 says, but this righteousness from heaven has been revealed. And now he is telling us through chapter 3 and 4 that the wages of sin is death. And he's talking to believers. This is what he talks to them. He wants them to remember who they are. Get off your horse don't be sleepy. Don't be, don't be caught up in your, the restful position of now you're saved. And No, you have to realize you need strength. You need to be encouraged. You need to encourage each other. We need to come together. We need to support and edify each other as we walk in this world. We, these are the things that a community of faith of people encourage each other with. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about our favorite things, but this is what we really are to talk about when we have fellowship with one another. These are the things that are to feed us. This is real koinonia, as the Bible teaches. This is real fellowship. And Paul wants to make sure that he gives them a script. He gives them the words to say that he wants them to say, that not what they think is going to encourage people, but what God wants to give them to be encouraged. So that's why we know our Bible. That's why we know theology. That's why we know how to read this book. That's why you come here to listen and to be taught as it comes right back at us as well, the pastors and the leaders. One thing I just want to bring up real quickly is just something that I, I want to stress that may not have been stressed because uh, the last time and it's, I thought it's quite interesting in chapter uh, 8 here, in verse 14, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of, as sons. Now that's a word that's used. It's, not son, it's, not a, it's a word just for sons. So why does he use the word sons that he's including men and women in this? 
And the answer is, is because women weren't inheriting anything. Women weren't handed down anything. If you go to the book of Ruth, remember Ruth was, was uh, with Naomi. They came back, and Naomi had to, uh, had to bring, came back with Ruth back to home, and, and uh, she'd been gone for a dozen years or so, and, and she had lost her husband, and both of her daughter-in-laws had lost their husbands, and they came back destitute. And so Ruth goes and starts gleaning and begging in the fields and starts working and starts showing her faith and showing her devotion to Naomi. And we see that without a redeemer, without someone to come along in a, in a, in a sense of marry her so that she and Naomi could be taken care of, what was their future like? They had nothing. And so what's so important about this is that God is using these legal words of sons of God, and, and as he said here, adoption as sons, meaning that now both men and women are now considered the sons of God because we all get an inheritance. We all get this inheritance, and what, what we read here is, is our inheritance is of the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we inherit where we're going to be getting, new bodies, glorified bodies. But the most important thing is that we are going to inherit a relationship with God the Father himself. And so it says here in verse 15, we do not receive the spirit of slavery. Now, for those of you who see me go one side to the other, for this whole duration we've been talking about what it has been when we're in Adam and now when we're in Christ. And Adam has been, you know, just, hor just horizontal, right? This is just life of darkness, of uh, appetite of sin. We're blind, we're deaf, we're dead. And in Christ, and, and in Christ now we... We have a whole new relationship. We have life. We can see. We can think. We have a whole new heart. We have a whole new way of living. So over here is slavery, right? We're not slavery to the, to, to, uh, to the law anymore. We're not slave to sin anymore. But here we can say no to sin. We've died to sin. We are now redeemed by Christ. We now have freedom. And so now what he's saying here, that we are now given the spirit of adoptions as sons, all of us, this is great news for everybody that we are all inheriting these things because God has given them to us in Christ. Listen to Galatians. He says, Galatians chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. He says, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. And then he says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, redeemed those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, he's talking to everyone, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, which we looked at last time, so that we are no longer slaves, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is a great promise. This is great news. This is 
God the equalizer. There is no male or female, no Jew nor Greek. It's all we are one in Christ. And so this is a great, great news that God has given. And he says that the Spirit himself bears witness in verse 16 with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are all the children of God if we are in Christ. Remember first John, remember John chapter 1, it says, not by the will of a father, but by God the Father, by the Spirit of God. We are now called the children of God. We've been given the privilege of being called the children of God because of our faith in Jesus. And he says in verse 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And for some people that may go, oh no, what does that mean? <laughs> Providing we suffer. It's not a condition that we have to get to a point that we suffer enough and saying, eh, you've made it. It's this life, on, life going on like Christ, suffering in this world of sin. And so now we live like Christ. We understand what it is to look like this new relationship that we have. We are, in, we are in a battle. We are in a war because we all want to go back to this way of life under Adam. But he says that doesn't work. We are now in Christ and we live a whole new way and we're in battle with sin and our body is going to struggle with sin our entire lives. We are never going to be totally victorious in this life from sin until the Lord comes for us or we go to be with him. Any suffering that you meet on the road, someone said, any, any suffering that you meet on the road to heaven and endure by trusting Jesus, that's the suffering that he's talking about. Any hardship that might destroy your faith and lead us away from God, that's the suffering. 1 Corinthians I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's why we need a community of faith. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, we also share in our comfort. You also share in our comfort. He's talking about, Paul's talking about how it's this give and take, it's this mutual love, it's this disposability that we have with each other. That we aren't afraid to share our lives with one another. We're not afraid to come alongside people who are suffering or who are rejoicing so that we share in that family experience together. 
And our hope for you is unshaken, he says. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. The long-term delivering of grace. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that we may so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the many prayers. This is what Paul is writing to this church, telling them that this is a life of suffering. A life of suffering. And and now you notice what he's going to go on in verse 18. He says this through 18, it's a standalone sentence. He goes, for, now the word for there. As you can see, if you look down on verse 18, 19, 20, 22, 24, it says for, or it says it later on in, in, the, in the other verses. This is the word like a, a supporting evidence. This is the reason. He goes, for I consider. Considering is not just going, hmm, let me give it some thought. He's talking about mentally working through this so that it becomes a part of our DNA so that when you and I are reflected, This is where we go, but you and I know that no matter how much time we practice this, there are times when we're blessed by this blessing from God and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God within us takes us us through the struggle that we're having. And then there are other times when the default button comes right back when when we're in Adam and we go back to those pleasures again, or we go back to something to anesthetize ourselves. That's why he is telling them to consider, mentally work through this, so that it is part of who you are. For I consider that the sufferings in this present time, notice he's giving us this, it's happening now. And the present time is meaning that it goes all the way back to the fall, up until the time that Jesus comes. But it's, he's giving us parameters, right? He's not saying, That's the way it's going to be forever and ever. Because we don't live in a closed system. There are those who believe that God started this all up and walked away and said, oh, let it all take over by itself. Let it just run like a clock all by itself. And that's not what we live in. We don't live in a closed system. We live in a system, we live in a world where God is very much a part of who we are. Whether people recognize that or not, God is the one that's keeping it all together. And that's the hope that we have, that he hasn't been a time, uh, a clock maker that started it up and said, okay, that one's done, and it's going to work fine. Oh no, what about all the pieces that need to be maintained? What about all the pieces that they break? That's called deism. You just think that there's a divine being who starts it and just walks away You're on your own. He's saying here that for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, 
He gives words of time and, and kind of parameters, and we'll look at those. He says the suffering of this present time, meaning that there's a beginning and an end, which is very nice to hear, is it not? They're not worth comparing. He says let's contrast everything, everything that we've been talking about, and through other scriptures as well, comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, one, no mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. Now this is great news, but I wish we felt like this all the time. But you and I know that when we suffer, you and I know that when we're afflicted, we, you and I know that there's going to these problems, we don't always feel that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's when the ministry of the, of the body of Christ, it's when we go back to the Word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and Jesus speaking to us is where we find this remembrance again that great is thy faithfulness. So he's saying it is not worth it. It's not worth it. The sufferings, all of it is worth it. That's what he's saying. It's all worth it. Because through the sufferings of life, through the world, through our bodies, even through our sin and the sin of each other, God is working in our life to reveal his glory through us. So no matter what the world does to us, this is very hard to say. I mean, it's very easy to say, but it's very hard to live out. No matter whatever happens to us, He says, it can't not compare, not even close, what the Lord has in store for us. And then through 19 through 22, he, he brings out creation. And he says, you know what? There are times in your life, I bet you you're wondering, why me? And why me now? I've, I've heard that from lots of people. I'm the only one. This world's falling apart. Everything's going against me. Why does this all happen at me? And why does this have to happen? And why, does th why, when, you, why when, you're, when something good's going in your life, some bo the bottom drops out and this happens? What's going on with all of this? And so he is saying, don't think that you're alone. In fact, don't think that you're only happening to you. As he goes right back to creation, he goes, Let's take a look at this from the bigger point of view. He says, because creation waits eager, with eager longing, creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is looking. Creation is, is just looking to find out what is going to happen next. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18, he says, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look into these things that are seen, but not, not into the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So he's saying the big picture is this. He says all of creation is what? 
He says, all of creation is groaning. For all creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that creation itself will set, be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that all of creation is groaning together, waiting for you and I to receive the inheritance of God. It's on its, the words, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, per, um, humanizing and, and bringing human qualities to creation. It says that cre- creation is on its tiptoes, stretching its neck, looking, looking for that day, because it knows that the day that you and I receive our bodies, it will be freed from the the decay, from the corruption, from the futility of what we see all around us falling apart. Storms and blizzards and earthquakes and tornadoes, all these things are part of the fall. And someday that will all end. And it can't wait. It can't wait for that day that you and I receive our new bodies. Because then we will be showing the world and each other and blessing God by giving us our new bodies and showing us that we are truly adopted as the sons of God. And we have been really loved by this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to receive this blessing that is going to be wonderful magnificent, marvelous, no comparison. And notice he says here in these, in these words of, uh, of tenses, like he uses, like it was a period of time, this present time. Notice in verse 20, for creation was subjected. It's talking about something that was done in the past. Look, notice in, uh, uh, we see that uh, Verse 21, that creation itself will be set free. All these things encompass all of time. Well, not all of time, because there are Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and part of chapter 3, before the fall came, that everything was cool. Everything was great. Everything was perfect. And then it all fell apart. Because it says here, For creation, verse 20, says, was subjected to futility, to this corruption, to this decay, to frustration, as the book of Ecclesiastes talked about. You know, you you hear these, you read Ecclesiastes and it says, look at creation. The sun, the sun gets up in the morning and it sets in the evening and in the language it used, that it, it pants so hard it has to run all the way around again to get back to the beginning and start all over again. And it's this futility of just... It's like a dog chasing its tail. For what? And that's what it's, this is what creation is groaning. And that's what goes on with us. As he's going to say, don't you groan? I groan. I think Colin and Eben don't groan as much as we groan. We get out of bed and we put our feet to the floor when there were times we would get out of bed and you just keep on going. Next thing you're going like, Ugh. you get out of a chair after playing golf, 
rigor mortis sets in. You get up and it's, ah. We've grown really well. Gravity is working harder against us. Years ago, if I jumped from this step to that step, it wouldn't have meant nothing. Now I'm worried about jumping from here to there. Because our bodies are falling apart. As wonderfully how we're made, there is an expiration date somewhere in our body. And so he says, it's not only your problem. This suffering, this groaning is intended by God. They can't wait. It says they can't wait for the revealing of the sons of God. Christians don't look any different than the world around us. We all have aches and pains. We have relationships that fall apart. We have churches that fall apart. We were, it was our, my friends here today, and we were driving through Troy, and we went through so many churches that he was saying, oh, look at that church. Well, it's not a church anymore. Look at this church. It's not a church anymore. Oh, look at this church. It's not a church anymore. We went through four, five, six places and said there was no church anymore. Something happened. It fell apart. We understand what it is that people fall in love and fall out of love. We understand that happens in marriages. That happens in churches. People are friends. You're the best thing since sliced bread. The next thing you know, I can't stand being around you. They know what it's like when things happen, when relationships, when you're, you, you know, look with Eva. I mean, she gets hit in an eye with a ball. I lose my job. At this time in my life, Lord, this is a good time for me to lose my job? Well, in his eyes, yeah. In mine, I don't like it. So do you think I've been not groaning? I've been groaning. There's, we're in, we live in a world that we look like everybody else, and we get cancer, and we die, and our loved ones die terribly, and our loved ones get old, and they aren't the same, and we're not the same. This is what this futility is all about. This is what he's talking about. Subjected to decay, corruption, frustration. As he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth unto now. Groaning together I think, and others think, that is not necessarily creation groaning in the pains of childbirth, but necessarily that we are waiting for the day in our birth of becoming the adopted sons and daughters. And that when we get our new body, and so the world is looking at us going through these birth pains. Notice it's not death pains, but it's birth pains. That God is birthing something new. We have been born again. We were dead, but now we're given a new life. In the world, creation is looking and longing and looking and waiting to see when is that going to happen because when it's free, when they see it happens to us, then it is free. 
And then he says, it's in verse 22, 23, excuse me, he says, for we know that whole of creation, that's another, notice the four, for creation was subjected, not, in, who was it subjected to in verse 20? It was, but it was subjected of him who subjected it in hope, meaning that God did that. God's the one that subjected it to fertility. It was God who judicially in the garden cursed. He's the one, but he did it in hope because within Genesis 3, we hear the gospel that God is going to bring someone who will bring a change to everything and will give us new life and redeem us from our sins and help us in our depravity. And even when we are not as good as we should be, even when we struggle with our sins and struggle with wanting to be who Jesus is, he does not give up on us. In fact, if he does, then what is the gift of eternal life? I mean, the word is eternal, is it not? Those who know Jesus are given eternal life. When does it stop being eternal? If it depends on you and me, we're in trouble. But if God says eternal, then it's eternal. And he promises eternal life, and eternal life will never shut off. That hope and that, and that promise will never go away. So we can never lose our salvation. We can never, he's just telling us, in hope, there's an end to all this. And when you see the ending, you're going to be just blown away. Paul says, Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we are unclothed, but that we would far rather be clothed, what, with this new body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And he, has, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Verse 23, and he says, And not only creation, we, but we ourselves who have the first fruits, meaning that we have this down payment. Right? We have, we've been given a, a down payment for chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It starts, it says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that, it is why, that that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, as a down payment. That's what it is. The first fruits are the very first crops that come out of a harvest, and that's who Jesus is. He's the first fruit. He's the one that has lived life perfectly. He has, re been, he has, he has a, a glorified body, and that's what we are going to get. And Jesus has already gotten it for us to show us 
that he is the son of God, that he has died for our sins, that God has accepted the penalty of death for us in Christ. And then we are promised a whole new heart and a whole new, whole new spirit and a whole new body. And when we get there, folks, and you've heard me say this before, our eyes cannot conceive of what this new glory and creation is going to be like. Because you and I have never, ever seen perfection. You know, I can't still smell and taste now. It'll be three years coming up this, this winter. A little bit. A little bit. I can, it's a nanosecond. I can smell and taste something. But I can't wait to get my taste buds in heaven. The food is going to be perfect. My palate is going to be the best it could ever be because we don't understand what perfection is. Our eyes haven't seen it. Our bodies haven't taken it in. And when it happens, we, because our, these eyes cannot do the glory of God justice, we can't do perfection just with these eyes that we have because I groan if I take my glasses off. But we can't see. We cannot see perfection. We've never seen that yet. And that's what God has, that's why he's saying it, it's worth it. It doesn't compare. We know you're going to groan, but don't groan with people who are without hope. But we have the hope because it says God has subjected it to hope. It's this, we have this down payment, right? It's the already. You and I, groan but we rejoice you and i are, are are sad but we're joyful you and i sometimes cannot understand what god is doing but we have this abiding hope in our heart that he's in control and we do not understand what his hands are doing but we know who he is and that's the difference in our life that's what makes us different we fall apart like the rest of the world around us, but we do it differently. They have no hope. We have hope. For in this hope, he says, we were saved. Now hope is not that, he says, uh, Hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, passion, with uh, patience. That word there is endurance. It means to be able to bear up to something. It just doesn't mean sitting there like this. It means holding on. And folks, I need you to help me hold on. You need me to help you hold on. That's what the community of faith, that's what the church is all about. That's what we are here for. That when we take a vow, when we come to this church, we take a vow to love one another, to support the role and the ministry of this church, and that God would use you and me. Oh, yeah, we're vessels that can be bought at the dollar store. But it's what we have within us that when we are broken, 
spills out for the glory of God. And so we endure patiently. We endure. We, hold, we bear up. We sometimes think our teeth are going to crack. And sometimes, look, people, we feel like we just can't and we don't and we fall down on the ground, but we are still holding on. Even in the fetal position, we are still holding on. John Stott, I mean, what's his, uh, Doug Moo says this. He says, the already but the not yet. Already through the indwelling presence of God's Spirit, we have been transferred into this new age of blessing and salvation. But the very fact that the Spirit is, the, is only the first fruits make us sadly conscious that we have not yet severed all ties to the old age of sin and death. A healthy balance is necessary in the Christian life in which our joy at many blessings, I'm sorry, in which our joy at the many blessings will already possess should we be set beside our frustrations and our failures and our intense yearning for that day when we will fail no more and when we will be like him. Can't help but go back to 1 John. I just quoted that so many times. 1 John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That's chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has, yet to be has yet to appear, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as we, he is. And that's the first fruits coming to us saying, this is your inheritance. Not only a new body, but God himself, which should be the very focus of our lives. It's not what we get. If we go to this because we get something, when we are not, following Christ. Because Jesus didn't do anything to get anything. He did it because he was here to glorify God. And that's what you and I are to do, is to glorify God together. And to have him as a possession for you and me, for us. To be able to have a relationship with him, because then everything else falls into place. Our appetites change. Our eyes change. Our hearts change. Our hearing change. Our minds change. It's because of our relationship with God. My concern about some of the movements that are in Christianity today is that they don't like to talk about groaning at all, or they don't like to hear anything about this suffering. What they believe, and I've told you this before, is they have a, a, a view is that their inheritance is there for them now. So why shouldn't they be rich? Why shouldn't they be healthy? Why shouldn't they be sitting fat? Why shouldn't they pray for a promotion and it comes? Why shouldn't they get a raise when they want to? Why shouldn't they be what they think God has intended them to be? And you hear it throughout all of their teachings. And that's not Christianity. That's not the gospel. Because what do you do with the groaning? They mention nothing about groaning. And nobody mentions anything about groaning, which is the most important part of the gospel, because it says we need to suffer with Jesus. They're not teaching anybody the truth. So we need to discard that stuff. 
I have told you this. I have gone into Christian bookstores and stores and saying, where's the good stuff? This is garbage. This may put food in my mouth, but there's no nutrition at all. It's all empty calories. John Stott says this. He goes, it is hard to keep this balance. Some Christians overemphasize the call to patience. They lack enthusiasm and lapse into lethargy, apathy, and pessimism. They have, they have forgotten... Yeah, that's mine. They have... Uh, I'm not trying to kill Nate, but... They have forgotten God's promises and are guilty of unbelief. Others grow impatient of waiting. They are so carried away with enthusiasm that they almost try to force God's hand. They are determined to experience now even what is not even available to them yet. Understandably anxious to emerge out of this painful present of suffering and groaning, they talk as if the resurrection had already taken place, and as if the body should no longer be subject to weaknesses, disease, pain, and decay. Yet such impatience is a form of presumption. It is to rebel against the God of history, who has indeed acted conclusively for our salvation, and who will almost assuredly complete, when Jesus comes, what he has begun but who refuses to be hustled into changing his planned timetable just because we do not enjoy having to go on waiting and groaning. God, give us patience of eagerness and an eager patience as we wait for his promises to be fulfilled. <clears throat> Peter writes, and this is what we'll close with. He says it's all worth it. It's all worth it. I, I, I need you to help me to say it's all worth it. Getting old is no fun. Pain is no, no fun. The, the trials and the, and, the, and the changes that we go through in life and watching others in our families suffer when we watch the world and we see what this unbelievable brutality to humanity is going now in the Middle East. And to think that these people don't think that there's anything wrong with this stuff. And then we have morons who support that. We groan all the time. We walk, if, we, if we're around people, we're grown. If you, are, if you live by yourself and you don't have anything going on, you may, not have, you may not be exposed to too many people, I know you've still grown. Peter writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm so thankful that we don't have to put that in the bank, that the, that the, 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 the federal bank has not, nothing to do with this. There's no 
FICO score, there's no interest rates, there's nothing, none of this garbage that we have to hear about. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, this is what you and I need to rejoice in. Though for a little while, since it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that in an expressible, that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word that is forever true. It never changes. It's, not in se- it's always in season. Even when we feel like it, it may not be appropriate at times in our life when we are talking with one another, when we find ourselves uh, involved in conversations, Lord, when we are afraid to speak the truth, Lord, we realize that it is the power. It is the power of God unto salvation, as Paul tells us in, in the beginning of this book. We realize, Lord, through the, through, through the resurrection, Paul, you write, Paul writes to us, God, you write to us through the pen of Paul, that it is God, Jesus, the Son of God, who is proclaimed the Son of God in power because of the resurrection. Lord, we, we thank you for giving us minds to remember this stuff, and we pray that you would help us to find ourselves longing for this word that we would long to be with others to read it, to study it. We would long to be in this place, to be able to hear it. Lord, we ask for your blessing upon us as we groan together, as we realize, Father, that we are not alone, that even we as Christians who have Jesus, we grow inwardly, We grow inwardly because of our bodies falling apart, and we grow inwardly, Lord, because we know that our hearts are not still pure and that we struggle with sin. And your word tells us that we will continue to struggle with sin because this whole book is about the battle of sin. But Lord, thank you for giving us this battle that never existed until you came into our life. We now have our eyes open We now understand what the battle is. We now know what to look for. And yet, Lord, we are defenseless without you. And so, Lord, you have allowed all these things to take place in our life, even our sin. So that as as Paul writes to us, that we despaired. And yet, Lord, you allowed them and allowed us to go through these things so that we would depend upon you. Lord, imagine our attitudes if we were sinless. Why would we need you? So, Lord, as we read in our creeds, in our confessions, that there are seasons of time when you allow your children to go through 
times of sin so that, Lord, we may be purged from it, but also that we may realize that we are more evil than we ever thought we were. So that we would depend upon you more for forgiveness and for sanctification. So, Lord, we thank you for giving us this church, this book, the creeds and confessions of our denomination, of our faith, to encourage us to push on, to encourage us to wait patiently, to endure under great stress, under great groaning, every moment of every day. But Lord, in the midst of it all, we realize that we have hope and we rejoice in you. So let us, Lord, hold on to this hope. Give us more hope. Give us more faith. Give us your presence and abundance in this place. Lord, bring us more people to this place who want to worship you and glorify you, those who we can come alongside of and bless and be blessed by. Lord, send your spirit out all the neighborhoods around us and call to yourself the people who you desire to be your children. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Okay, let's stand and sing, I think.